law, liberty, and life in Jesus, knowing how it all works. The question that I want to look at, the title of this teaching is, is it easy or is it hard to be a Christian? Is it easy or is it hard to be a Christian? We've been in Galatians 4. We kind of got to about verse 11, so I'm going to pick up at verse 12. Galatians 4, 12 to 20. I hope you have a Bible with you always, and if you're at home, wherever you are, open it up, study. These are powerful verses, but they don't just jump off the page. They require a little thought and a little study. Galatians 4, 12. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. I want to explain that strange phrase. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial to you. That's interesting. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? They court you, these false teachers, they court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me, not just Paul, but Paul's gospel, Paul's teaching. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner, and not just when I'm with you, my children. I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful to see the, the Apostle Paul working with these people and finally, I don't know what to do with you people. Let's pray. Come and and Holy Spirit, these are your words through Paul, but these aren't just Paul's thoughts. These are your thoughts. And I pray that you'll speak, not just into our ears, but through them to our hearts. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed. We want to grow. Use this time together to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we move into today's study, there is a question we should all ask. We, and we've been studying the message of these Jewish false teachers who came from Jerusalem to Galatia, these new Gentile Christians and these Jewish false teachers who had come and said, it's great that you love Jesus and the gospel. You need to also come under the Judaic covenant along with us and you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the dietary laws and the table laws and the separation regulations. You need to do all of that. And we've seen the length to which Paul goes with these Galatian Christians to try and reverse their drift in that bad direction. 
The question we need to ask, it has to do with, it's a big question that has to do with the reason for this whole letter from Paul. I mean, why would Christians, real born-again Christians, why would Christians ever desire to revert to the old legalistic practices of Judaism or any other religion that doesn't have the Christian gospel in it? What would make people want to go back to that? What would they find more attractive in the teaching of these false teachers from Jerusalem? Why would anybody, why would anybody, having found grace, mercy, pardon, freedom in the Spirit, why would anyone like that return to the law and religion as a means of some kind of self-acquired righteousness and standing before God? Why would anybody want to do that? It's not just an academic question, not just a historical question. I mean, why are there billions of people right now, 2022, why are there billions of people attracted to all sorts of religions with no gospel, no pardon, no grace, no justification through Jesus Christ? Why do people want that? To put it a different way, what could possibly be offensive about the Christian gospel and redemption? Why would anyone forsake walk away from Christ Jesus into some other religious expression. So is the Christian life hard? Is that the problem? Or is it easy? And the answer, by the way, is the Christian life hard or is it easy? And the answer to that question is yes. The answer is it's both. It's easy because salvation is all by grace, not by works, received through faith, plus nothing else. That's why it's easy. And also, that's why it's very hard. I believe John Piper was exactly on target. I don't agree with everything John Piper says, but I think he was right on target when he said this. Quote, Just as naturally as apples fall downward... Human beings gravitate toward ideas and actions that make them look great and resist ideas and actions that make them look needy and small. It does not appeal to the natural mind to be so transformed by Christ that we must give him all the credit for all the good that we do. This is the fundamental stumbling block in the Christian gospel. The Christian faith is hard because its central goal is always and only the glory of God. It never glories in humankind. And that's most of us. We do not give up glory lightly. To turn from our own proud glory is like cutting off a hand or ripping out a tooth. None of us likes it. Here's Jesus 
talking to people who he said it was just impossible for them to follow him. John 5, 44. How, how can you believe? This is, this is saving faith. That's what he's talking about here. Just faith. How can you, since you accept the glory that comes from one another, but do not seek, notice those verbs, the glory that comes from the only God. Note those words, accept and seek. Accepting our own glory is easy. All you have to do is accept it. Living for God's glory is harder. You have to seek it. Jesus hits the nail on the head here. In our pride, our hunger for glory, we all have it. We all have it. We love the esteem. We love the applause of our peers. We love it more than the applause of Father God. And, and the Christian gospel just demolishes this death-dealing love of self on the center stage of my heart. Words like these, you know them, for grace. You are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is what people hate right there. It is God's gift. Not from works. And no one can no one can do that. No one can boast. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. We need to think about those words because usually we only see the easy part in them. We see, you know, it's not of works. Great. So we see the freeness of salvation, the freeness of pardon. But, but we need also not just to see the freedom in those words. We need to see the offensiveness in those words. Why people have a hard time with those words. There's no reason for any thinking Christian to be shocked that so many people turn on them once they accept Jesus Christ. You really can't make authentic gospel faith attractive to the natural person. You, you can make morality attractive. You can make tolerance attractive. You can make love attractive. You can, maybe if it's done really well and slick, you can make church attractive. You might even be able to make religion attractive, but you'll never make the need for the cross attractive to the natural person. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Can bring a person to the place where I, I, I can't do this. I can't solve this. I have nothing to offer. That, that, that very, I have nothing to offer. That is the death of the world's religions, that phrase. There's nothing I can accomplish. I have no way of getting there. That's a very hard thing for people who love their own glory. That's very hard to admit, very offensive. And so, the Christian faith is, at the very same time, both the easiest thing in the world and the hardest thing in the world. And that's why the epistle to the Galatians had to be written. The teaching of these Judaizers wasn't as death-dealing to human pride, self-glory, self-will. 
that kind of religion, it left room for the applause of peers. It left room for pride of self. And that's why there are other religions that thrive and flourish to this day on God's earth. That's why the gospel has to be protected and defended and argued and persuaded and proclaimed amid ridicule and persecution and the seduction of this world. Always has been that way. Always will be that way. Human pride does not die easily. All that was introduction, but we're halfway done, okay? So don't panic. If, if you're anywhere near a visitor, just poke him and say, he's going to say point number one. Watch. Point number one. Learning the lessons of Paul and the Galatians. I beg you, brothers and sisters, I want to look at this phrase. Become as I am, for I... As I have become as you are. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial to you. That's interesting. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God. Wow. As Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify you would have torn out your eyes, given them to me. I want to look at those verses. They're fascinating. So, point number one, A. Paul calls the Galatians to learn the lessons of his own painful journey to Christ. We should pay careful attention to that. That 12th verse. Here's why. In the whole letter, we're at chapter 4, verse 12. This is the first commandment in the whole letter. Right here. This is the first time Paul commands them, tells them to do something. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I have become as you are. This is the only place in the New Testament where Paul says this. You might think it isn't. But it is. There are other places where he says something similar to this, but not the same. Maybe you know references like this. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Okay? It's close to the same, but it's not. Here's another one. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Now, both of those passages have to do with following Paul or other leaders, following them as they follow Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. But that's not what Paul is saying in our Galatians text. I want you to look at it one more time. It's different. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am. So imitate me. But then look at this part. For I also have become as you are. That's different. Those are very carefully crafted words. And here's what Paul, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is telling these people in Galatia. He's saying, I'm warning you about going back into Judaism, leaving the gospel, going back under the old covenant, or other religions. 
And Paul is saying this. He's saying, I had to learn the same lesson that I'm asking you to learn. Paul tried keeping the law of ethnic Judaism. But Philippians 3, just read the whole thing. It was at one point the passion of his life. According to the law, he said, I was blameless. That's what he says to the church at Philippi. It was the passion of his whole life, but it didn't work. It just didn't work. The whole point of Paul's theological meanderings in this third chapter of Galatians is there's no inheritance. There's no inheritance of justification and salvation. There's no inheritance coming through the law. It only comes through Christ. So now, think about it. Here's Paul, a Jew. He tells them that he had to come to God just as any other pagan Gentile would come to God. That must have been a newsflash for these false teachers out of Jerusalem. Paul, a Jew, says he became like them, Gentile sinners. He had to come to Jesus the same way they came to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And now he's appealing to these Gentile Christians. He's saying, don't listen to these false teachers. Don't go back to Judaism. Paul says, I've been there and it doesn't work. That's what Paul is saying. I had to come to Christ like a Gentile. So don't you Gentiles go back to Judaism. Paul's message in a nutshell is this. I had to become just like you in order to find Christ for myself. So whatever you do, you Gentiles, don't desert me now and go back under the old covenant. That just makes no sense at all, Paul is saying. You'll notice, to underscore his oneness with these Gentile Christians, to underscore his oneness with them, he starts that 12th verse with those words, brothers and sisters. I beg you, brothers and sisters. Only he's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles. These Gentile Galatian Christians, they are Paul's true brothers and sisters through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and contrary-wise, these Jewish false teachers under the Old Covenant, they're not Paul's brothers and sisters, even though Paul's a Jew. It's a striking passage. The oneness comes from being in Christ. The oneness can never come from the externals of any religion. It's the gospel of Christ. So Paul is urging these Christians to learn from his own torturous past. He had to turn from his zealous Jewish law-keeping and his pride, and he had to forsake it all and come to Christ like a Gentile. And he begs these Christians, don't turn your backs on the truth. Okay, B. Paul calls for the Galatians to remember their own passionate response to the truth of the gospel. He does it in verses 13 to 15. Look at these words. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. 
He's going to explain what this is a little bit. Hint at it. You did not despise or reject me through my physical condition. So, so whatever this condition was, Paul was surprised. It must have been something, uh, uh, sorry, but it must have been something gross. Because Paul actually thought, Paul actually thought that when they saw him, they would reject him. Paul. They, they wouldn't want to listen to him. They wouldn't be able to stand being with him. That's, that's the seriousness of Paul's condition. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial on you. On the contrary, look, you received me as an angel of God. Wow. As Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Now, the actual details are sketchy. Historical sleuths have almost universally speculated that Paul actually detoured to Galatia while en route somewhere else due to a serious, debilitating eye disease of some kind. They usually get this from Paul's own reference to the Galatians' willingness to give them their own eyes to assist his ministry. Another hint is the way Paul makes this strange reference in Galatians 6.11 that he wrote this epistle in such large letters. That's all we know. But I hope you can see what Paul is doing here. He reminds these Galatians of a very uh, unpleasant circumstance in his own life. He reminds them how debilitating, maybe deforming, his own appearance had been among them when they first came to Christ. There was Paul preaching the gospel to them, his eyes maybe swollen, red, full of pus. He could hardly function. But, but, but they didn't change channels to find a more attractive preacher. They didn't shun Paul. They didn't despise Paul. He says, verse 14, you guys treated me like I was an angel. You guys treated me like I was Jesus Christ himself. That's what Paul says. Why? Why did they treat him so well? back then, when they first came to Christ. Well, they found the gospel that Paul preached was so ultimately true and freeing and empowering. It worked. They felt its power in their lives. They knew its transforming power. They didn't want Paul to leave, it says. They would have, they would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to keep Paul with them, preaching and declaring the gospel think about that. They'd prefer to give up their eyes than miss the gospel. Think about that when you're swamped with yet another nickel and dime account of some progressive Christian deconstructing his or her faith. Paul says, you would have pulled your eyes out and given them to me if I just stay proclaiming the gospel to you. And now, here's the thing. 
Paul looks back on those times and he feels if he can only bring them back there, back to their first encounter with Christ by the Spirit, maybe they would discover that touch of wonder and promise and glory all over again. I was thinking about that, working on this teaching. Do we need do we need this call in our hearts two years in this pandemic? There's people you're listening to me right now, you haven't darkened a church door for two years. What's happening to our hearts? What's happening to our hearts? Do we need that reminder how, how quickly we cool and how quickly we forget? That there comes this settling into this world, that excitement of being an alien, that sharp cutting edge of being called to Christ and out of this decaying world. Does that call just sort of fade with the accumulation of trials and things and the busyness of our schedules? Therefore, brothers and sisters... In view of the mercies of God, I, look at that verb. This is so important. I'm begging you, Paul says. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. These physical bodies. A living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That's what Paul is dealing with, with these Galatian Christians. That's what he's dealing with. We're also prone to falling upon times where the shaping influences of our lives are not coming from Christ's spirit within, but from the conditions of the world without. That's the battle. Let these verses just, these verses from Paul in Galatians 4, let them serve to call you to a fresh living remembrance of the time when you came to Christ and the edge of passion was still sharp and unblunted by the passing of time. I've been thinking about those great words penned by Dennis Jernigan as he struggled with inward desires for same-sex attraction. And he wrote those words, Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Okay, point number two. We're almost done. The ultimate motive and goal in Christian faith and ministry. 16 to 20. So I have become your enemy because I told you the truth. Now, remember, when he came and preached the gospel to them, he says, you treated me like I was Jesus Christ himself. Okay, remember? You received me as an angel. You received me as Jesus Christ. You would have, you would have ripped your eyes out just to alleviate my suffering and keep me teaching you. Now, now... What, he says, suddenly I'm your enemy now? Do you see the shift? The transformation in their attitude, their attitude toward Paul. Have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? 
They, those are the false teachers, they court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me. He doesn't mean just his personality. He means the gospel, revealed truth, so that you would pursue them. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner, not just when I am with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. Oh, I'd like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do about you. You can't help but notice the change, eh? The change Paul feels in the attitude of these Galatian Christians toward him. They treated him like Christ himself in verse 14. Now they're treating him like he's an enemy. What happened? It's not a mystery, church. It's not a mystery. It's the same thing that happens over and over again in today's clash between, listen to me, between divine revelation and cultural pressure. And something's got to give. Paul wouldn't change his message to suit their changing interests. And they hated that. People still do. He loved the people dearly, but not the way they wanted to be loved. He wouldn't alter his message to curry their favor. Here's what always happens. It happened then in Galatia. It happens in Newmarket right now. When people drift from gospel truth, they want the message to drift with them. When people drift from gospel truth, they want the message to drift with them. When it doesn't, they'll find another teacher, church, author. They do that because they don't want to feel ungodly just because they change their affections and their moral values. So usually, as, then as now, they'll seek out some other voice, some other author, some other church that will give them what they want to hear. And Paul says, I'm sorry. Won't play that game. But notice how Paul describes the approach of these false teachers in Galatia. He says, they, they court you eagerly. I mean, they're, they're working at you people. But not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it's always good to be pursued in a good manner and not just when I am with you. You should, you should stay with me and love me because of the truth I'm telling, not just because of my presence with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. So there are these false teachers eagerly seeking after the Galatian Christians to keep them out of Paul's reach, Paul's gospel, Paul's message, Paul's unchanging message. That's what that verse 17 is all about. Paul tells the Galatians that these false teachers want to shut you out so that you will seek them. Shut them out from what? Well, they want to shut them out from Paul and the truth of the gospel. They wanted these Galatians to come to them instead of this unchanging message of Paul. And this is always, church, you need to know this. This is always the way false religions and false doctrines work. 
Let me offer some specifics. Beware of any group that is after you so zealously that they want to keep you bound up only with their particular emphasis of truth. Beware of movements that want you to have yourself attached only to them. Beware of places and teachers that phone you or knock on your door and tell you that deliverance and life can only come through their program. Beware of places that tell you that renewal can only come through that new emphasis of theirs. Beware of centers that tell you you must come to them if you want the real anointing and the real revival. Beware of writers who suddenly come upon a brand new explanation of biblical text that the rest of the entire church has rejected for centuries. Look out for stuff like that. Beware, beware, beware. It's the big deception of the enemy in these last days. Beware of anyone who tries to tell you that just the plain, regular teaching of God's Word, the regular disciplined fellowship of a church, the power of prayer and the life of the Spirit, somehow this needs to be supplemented by this as well. Paul says, I don't know what to do with you. I'm just laboring. I'm laboring until Christ is formed in you. Not just Christ in you. Salvation. Christ formed in you. That's right there in that 19th verse. Maybe we need to learn from Paul. There's no easy way to always be a blessing to others. People's responses can always be disappointing. And they, just like us, can sometimes be stubborn and blind to truth. Anyone, anyone who ministers in the name of Jesus needs to be in it for the long haul with this goal of having Christ formed in people. Let others have the spotlight if they need it. Keep the glory of Christ at the center of all you do. Any class you teach, any group you lead, any witnessing you do, And let's have Jesus formed in increasing measure, right? In all of our hearts. Let's pray. It's a big text. There's promise in it all that the gospel can do in our lives, and there's warning in it that there's always going to be options to reveal truth. There will always be options to reveal truth, and it will be, it will be increasingly culturally unacceptable to hold to divine truth in God's Word. It will be culturally unacceptable to hold to divine truth in God's word. And so we pray now, we pray now that you'll, as Christ gets formed in our hearts, you'll get us more and more used to standing for a gospel that's offensive to a lot of people. May we not shy away from it. 
Jesus who bore the shame and rejection of the world on the cross gives us a good example to follow. So bless your word to our hearts. Keep us all in your care. In Jesus' name I pray.